0: Acts chapter six and seven this morning, and uh, we will not look at all of chapter seven because there's a lot there, and it's a great section. But we are focusing on uh, the person that's doing the talking, and not necessarily what's being said in that moment. So if you're looking at if you're looking at those chapters, don't get scared. You know, I'm not going to read every single word of those. But let me tell you what we got going on. This is number two in a two-part series. Okay, so we did the first Finishing Well. Some of you that come on Wednesdays, this looks familiar to you. We did Finishing Well on Wednesday night, and the topic of Finishing Well that night was how to let go of things so that you can finish well. Uh, So we looked at the life of Peter and the mistakes that he made, not all of them, but uh, because he made a lot. Uh, but uh, one of the big mistakes that he made and uh, we saw how to how to get get past that get beyond that overcome that and to finish off the new year um, uh, with you know let having let go of all of that baggage so what we're doing today is because obviously today is the last day of the year and uh, tomorrow begins a new year is that we are looking at uh, a similar topic finishing well but this is Today is preparing to finish well. Many people make uh, New Year's resolutions. That's just a thing. And if you make New Year's resolutions, that's a good thing uh, to set goals, to say, you know, I wanna do this or that. Uh, Most commonly, it has to do with health. You know, I wanna be healthier, I wanna either lose weight or I want to gain weight. People wanna lose weight, slim down, or, you know, they wanna bulk up and they wanna get some muscle. That's most common. big part of that is diet. You know, oh, that means I'm going to have to change my diet, change the way I eat. And uh, we, we can oftentimes make those goals and we can say, you know what, in 2024, I want to be healthier in this way. But what we so often fail to do is we fail to make plans on how to accomplish that. Many of us have in our minds a goal that we want to attain and what we do is we just imagine ourselves at that goal already. And we do not take into account what it takes to get to that point. You cannot just wake up swole. That's not going to happen. You cannot just wake up slim, trim, ready for hot girl summer. You can't do that. Okay, There has to be work put into the process of getting there spiritually speaking absolutely no different that's a mistake that many people make many christians make we think that you know what if i want to get to a certain point spiritually that's just somehow going to magically happen maybe if i pray then maybe i'll get sprinkled with some fairy dust and then i'll just wake up super spiritual that does not happen it does not happen in any other area of life why in the world would we think that that was going to happen in a spiritual sense, in our spiritual lives? It's not going to happen. There is a process, there are steps to get to that point. Let me show you what we got here. We're going to be looking at two chapters, chapter six and seven, and you can see that there are four main divisions. The first one is I've titled Full, then Falsely Accused, then we will see this man, Stephen Fearless, and then look at the last one, Faithful to the End. That's where you and I want to be. I think that if we were to go around and go, okay, if you're a Christian, you know, what do you what do you want to accomplish, spiritually speaking? We'd probably have something very similar to that. You know what? I want to be faithful, man. I just want to be faithful to the end. Like, I want to just follow the Lord, you know, and not worry about, you know, other people's opinions or, you know, what they say. I don't want to just, I don't want to uh, uh, get distracted by silly little distractions and things. I just want to, like, focus on the Lord And I just want to grow closer to him, and I just want to be like a better Christian. And so we oftentimes, we imagine ourselves faithful to the end, but we're not understanding what it requires in order to get to that point where we're faithful to the end. We are going to be looking at a man named Stephen. He was part of the first church, okay? So the church, even from the very beginning has always had issues, always had problems, always had drama, has always been clicks. We're going to see all of that today. But Stephen was a man that stayed faithful to the end, but how did he get there? That's what we want to see, and that's what we want to leave with today before the clock strikes midnight tonight and January 1st is here, okay? Uh, if you've got, um, you know, some, some health goals for 2024, well, you better be ready because all the junk food, all of the, you know, the sodas, all of the stuff. You know, you got to prepare to cut all of that stuff out in order to accomplish your goals. Well, let's see here what we're talking about when it, when it comes to uh, uh, spiritual things. So let's look at the first section, which is full. We find that in Acts chapter 6, if I can get there, isn't that weird? Let me shake that and then go like this. and then, uh, uh, Maybe the parents will have to do it for me. Uh, yes, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I'm not sure what's wrong with this, so you guys can help me out. To be full, what are we talking about there? Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 6 verse 1 to get a running start. Now in those days, in what days? When the when the church was growing, church is brand new, they're growing. When the number of the disciples was multiplying, so meaning that people were getting saved, disciples are multiplying, there arose a complaint, look at that. There arose a complaint. There's always complaints in the church. From time to time, I get a call from mom. My baby boy, my baby girl, she doesn't like your youth group. Really, why? Because there's cliques there. Really? Okay. Look what it says. When the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. You know what Hebrews is? It's a clique. You know what the Hellenists are? Click. These were groups of individuals that had things in common, so they hung out together. You know what that's called? Friends. And people get upset at, you know, youth groups because, well, you know what? My baby boy or my baby girl went into your youth group, and you know what? There was groups of friends everywhere. Isn't that why you want your student at youth group? Because there's friends. Like, what are you? What are we getting at? I get it. Sometimes people get clicked up, and you know, and you know, they don't allow someone else in or whatever. But listen, there's just always been drama from the very first time, that the, from the from when the church began. Not that it's a good thing, but it just always has existed. But they've got a solution. And and let's talk about the complaint first of all. Verse one, it was a complaint by the Hebrew or against the Hebrews. Those would have been the Jews. And the Hellenists. Now, Hellenists were Jews also, but they were those that had come from Greek culture. They were influenced by Greek culture, so they were the Hellenists. But they're all Jews who got saved. Now they're in the church, and look what it says. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Daily distribution of what? Of food. The daily distribution. The church was providing for itself you know they were everybody was sharing food and bread and wine and you know sharing their homes and whatever else and the hellenists felt that their widows were being neglected when it came time to give out the food so here's what happens in verse 2 then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples so they gathered everybody up the 12 is a, is a reference to the 12 apostles it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now that sounds bad, and I'll explain to you in just a moment. But I want you to understand something here: there was issues, and what you and I are going to see is that from these, from this drama, okay, and we're listen, we're in a high school ministry, we're well acquainted with drama. From the drama comes something so beautiful. It's what happens? But it's because they, they handled it correctly. Now, here's how they handled it. Again, verse verse 2: the 12 Some they, they gathered everybody up. The apostles, the leaders, they gathered everybody up. Here's what they say: it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, their, their response sounds like, huh? I teach the Bible. I don't, I'm not a waiter. So find some, you know, find the church losers and have them do it. That's what it sounds like. And that's how we you know, that's how we receive it. We're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, the Bible teachers can't serve tables? And, you know, people get all, man, they get all wound up about that stuff. Well, why? Now, how come the pastors can't do such and such, or they can't clean, or they can't do whatever? They can. They absolutely can. Here's what's going on, and they will go on to develop what what they're saying. But, but they're saying, listen, we, the, the apostles, they're saying we are called to teach the Bible. If we... Stop studying the Bible in order to distribute food. Then what will happen is the church won't get good Bible studies. If the church doesn't get good Bible studies, then the church doesn't grow. There's no maturity. Everybody stays immature. So those that have been called to teach, it is best that you just let them go focus on the teaching. And then other individuals jump in there and pick up some of those other tasks. Now. Again, if you're feeling like, well, that sounds like the pastors are too good and, you know, they, you know, they can't really, you know, they got to find the little, you know, the little losers, you know, like, oh, you guys go, go, you know, wait the tables. Well, look what it says here in verse 3. I'm going to try this one more time and just see if it's working. It's not working. What's that? Maybe it's the batteries. Um, so, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men. Now, this is a good start, okay? Because oftentimes the ladies are like, oh, someone needs to serve the food. Uh, ladies, you go over there and do it. You're good at that stuff. Right? Go, you know, hey, can I get some more tortillas or, you know, give me, bring me some tamales, whatever. But this time they say, no, you're gonna pick seven men. Okay? Looking for men. Now that does not mean that the things that we're reading about do not apply to the ladies, so hang with us. Okay. But look what the look what they're saying here. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. They got, you got to have a good rep if you want to serve food. Okay? And then it says this, two things, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom in verse 3, if you're taking notes. he these These individuals were full. Now, as we continue to read, it's going to zero in on a man named Stephen. We'll get to that in just a minute. But right now, they're just saying, hey, we need seven people to serve, and you got to have a good reputation. What kind of a reputation? Well, number one, you got to be full of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? Is that like one of those YouTube videos where those churches like sing and dance, and they do the Holy Spirit dance, and uh, they you know use tambourines and they dance all over the stage or run around or what? What does that mean? No, being full of the Holy Spirit. Now, just so you know. The Trinity, the Bible teaches that there is a Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three are God, and yet three distinct persons. We call them persons, but it's God. It's how we describe it in our earthly language. But the Bible teaches that there's a God the Father. teaches that there is a God the Son, that's Jesus. And then it teaches that there is a God the Holy Spirit. Here, he says that these individuals who are waiting tables need to be full of the Holy Spirit. So that means that they need to be full of God's Holy Spirit. In short or to simplify it, it means that these individuals need to be filled with God and not themselves. You and I understand what it means to be full of yourself. That's like when you just got, man, you just got a new fit for Christmas, you know? And then you're getting dressed, Sunday morning church, and you're putting on your new clothes, and you're like, oh, man, I got blessed with these clothes. And then you just, you just stand in the mirror, and you're just like, mm, praise the Lord, right? You're just looking at yourself like, whoo, God, you really did it today, man. You're full of yourself. Same thing can happen on the ball field or the court, where you feel like, you know, you're going into the game, and you're like, oh, sub me in, coach, like I'm the hero I'm going to win this thing, you know, I'm going to take us all the way. And we have this vision in our mind, no, we're full of ourselves. For the guys, right? You step up to the plate, look over, there she is in the stands, and then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, man, I got to flex my muscles, I got to make sure she knows that, like, this is just, I'm carrying this team full of myself. You might get good grades in school. And that's another way that you can be full of yourself. If you you get those good grades, you go, oh, man, you know, watch out. I'm, I'm, I'm good at this stuff. Like, it's just, you know, it's just how I do. And so we can be full of ourselves. We know what that's all about. But these individuals could not be full of themselves. They needed to be full of the Holy Spirit. But they also needed to be, secondly, they needed to be full of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is what you do with the knowledge that you have. Knowledge is you, you're you're knowing things. You're gaining facts. Wisdom is how you use those facts, how you use that knowledge. That's wisdom. So he says these individuals who are waiters need to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now what a trip! Because um, probably in about you know I mean within. In, in less than an hour, some of you are going to be at a restaurant with your family. You might go to Red Robin. You might go to the you know, Chinese food place. or You're going to go get some sushi or whatever you're going to get. And a waiter or a waitress will come to you to take your order or get your food. Imagine you walk in there and you go, hey, I need a waiter or a waitress. But that individual needs to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. They're going to name two other things full of faith and full of power. Like, uh, no, she cannot bring me my fries unless she is full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith and full of power and full of wisdom. And yet, these are the requirements for waiting on tables in that early church wait just to distribute food. And we go, what? What's the big deal? didn't they just pick you know the chumps from the church and just have them do it like they ain't doing nothing no whatever they were going to do and whatever area of service there was they wanted the best give us the best so full of this holy spirit and wisdom who we may appoint over this business and in verse four the bible teachers say but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word we got to keep studying now in verse five is where we get faith notice this in verse five And the same pleased the whole multitude. Everybody agreed. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Now it tells us that he's full of the Holy Spirit, but we already know that. That's what they were looking for. But now we're told that he's full of faith. What is faith? Faith is my trust in God, my confidence in God. And he was full of it, full of faith. It goes on to name some other gentlemen here, Philip. Chorus, Caner, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. So they bring these seven cats over to the apostles, to the leaders, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Okay. Now, laying hands on them signifies that they not only have God's approval, but that they also have the apostles' approval. They're laying hands on them in order to serve the tables. Now, what a trip! Because we don't normally do that. You know, if we're at camp, some of you have been to camp with us. If we're at camp, and uh, some of you, you know, some of you are actually helpful, and you get up and you start taking your friends' plates and dishes and things. We don't normally go, hey, I, not normally. I mean, we've never done it. Like, oh, uh, stop right there. Um, no, Excel, you cannot take your friend's stuff unless you are full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith and full of power and full of wisdom. Which you are. But, you, you, no, 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 no. We have requirements here. We're normally just like, you're taking your dishes? Fantastic. Get out of here. I don't care who you are. you know. But it was important that these individuals had a good reputation. Good reputation meaning that they were full, full of everything. Now, it goes on to say in verse 7, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Everybody's getting saved. Why? Because the Bible teachers were allowed to teach, focus on teaching, because other people kicked it in and waited on tables. So because of that, the word of God spread. See how that works? So that if I have to stop what I'm doing myself, you know, in studying the word of God to do other things, that distracts from my study time. No way I can come in here and give you a good study because I'm not going to be prepared. Sorry, I was doing other things. So, in a sense, the serving of tables and the teaching of God's word were equal in importance. Now, you and I understand the teaching of God's word is more important. We understand that. But the teachers of God's word in this case would not be able to teach God's word unless the waiters came and waited. So see how that works? So there was importance placed on both jobs, teaching the word of God and serving. And, uh, you know, in some ways, in some ways, it's that hands-on serving. That's what I prefer to teaching. If I had my choice I would have my headphones on and listening to music or a Bible study and just vacuuming or, you know, cleaning toilets or whatever. But that's not what God called me to. I I was called to that for a time, but I'm not called to that anymore. That hands-on service, that's good stuff, because what it does is it frees up the Bible teachers to do what they do. Now, verse 8 tells us something else about Stephen. And Stephen, now see what it did? It gave us a list of guys that were serving, But now it is zeroed in on one of those guys. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Hold up. Hold up. Stephen, chosen to be a waiter, to distribute bread and cheese and wine to Hellenistic widows, what in the world happened? How did he go from waiting on tables, to being full of faith. And here's our next point, full of power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. Imagine having a waiter like that. Wouldn't that be crazy? You go to Red Robin, and your waiter is full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of power, full of wisdom. They do great wonders and signs. And you go, hey, man, I need another burger. And then they just like, boom, here it is right here. You know, they just perform a miracle. And there's another cheeseburger right there. Boom. Now, I know that that's not what Stephen was doing. Stephen wasn't out there like, hey, you need some bread. Let me just show you a magic trick, you know. know. But whatever he was doing, and it doesn't tell us exactly what he was doing, but he went from waiting on tables to performing great wonders and signs among the people. How did that happen? Well, that's what we're here to talk about. It happened because back in verse 3, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Because in verse 5, he was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He didn't just jump. He didn't just get the cheat code and just jump straight to performing miracles and signs. It was a process that led up to that. But it doesn't stop there. Now, Beginning in verse 9, here's our next section, which is called falsely accused. So this starts out really well. Stephen, man, he seems to like, this, this is really neat how this is going. But here it is, falsely accused. Now, you need to know this. 2024 is going to present its challenges. If you are trying to be healthier, those challenges are going to come tonight at midnight. You go, you know what? At midnight, man, January 1st, that's it. I'm starting my new diet um, start, I'm going to do some push ups. I'm going to do whatever. You know, you're, you got this thing in your mind. Well, listen, tonight at midnight, man, there's going to be cookies or there's going to be fudge or brownies. There's going to be sodas. And you're going to be like, ah, oh, man. Like, maybe I could just start on the second. Right? No you got to like start like right now but the point being that those challenges are coming whatever whatever goals you set challenges are coming you can't reach those goals without going through or over or around or under those challenges you gotta you gotta face those challenges we all know that right you cannot bulk up if you do not go to if you don't eat your protein go to the gym and lift weight It's not going to happen by watching a YouTube video. It doesn't work that way. You can drink protein shakes all day long. It's not going to get you buff. You got to go to the gym. You got to hit the weights. And you can't just go like once a month. Come out all sore, like, ah, forget it. I'm not going back for three weeks. You got to be consistent. It actually has to be a daily process. Daily. Whether you're at the gym or you're not at the gym, the food that you're intaking, all of those things. Well, listen, spiritually speaking, there are going to be challenges. There always are. And here's a challenge for Stephen, a man full of faith, full of power, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. What does it say? Verse 9. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen. Okay? So I'll explain. Cyrenians, Alexandrians, those from Cilicia and Asia disputing with Stephen. So Stephen, this godly man, gets into this disagreement with this synagogue of the freedmen. These were Jews that belonged to a a, a synagogue, okay, essentially their church. And they're disputing with Stephen. They're arguing with Stephen. And they were not, in verse 10, able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So Stephen has taken on all of these, these people from the synagogue of the freedmen. They're all disputing with him over doctrine, no doubt. And Stephen, he's got wisdom and the spirit, and they're not able to resist him. They were not able to to defeat him in this this disagreement. So what do they do? Verse verse 10, verse 11, rather. And so it says, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak of Blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they accused him of blasphemy. Okay? They accused him of blasphemy. What is blasphemy? I'll tell you what it is. It's going to tell us what it is in just a moment. But let's read on. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. So they bring him to this religious council, these religious leaders. And it says in verse 13... They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease. He does not stop to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. So they're accusing him falsely, but they're saying he's speaking blasphemy. What is blasphemy? Verse 14. For we have heard him say, here it is, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, and changed the customs which Moses delivered to us. So here's what they were accusing him of. They were accusing him of speaking negatively against Moses, who the Jews considered to be like the man of the hour. There was God, and there was Moses. Because through Moses, the law came. So they held Moses in high, the highest esteem. But they also accused him of speaking badly about God. Now, these things were not true. We read here that they secretly induced man, that they set up false witnesses. And what they accuse him of is saying, hey, listen, he's he's talking about this Jesus destroying the temple and, and changing all the customs of Moses. But look at verse 15. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, at Stephen, saw his face as the face of an angel. So these individuals, and we'll see it in just a minute, that they were were so angry at Stephen that they were gnashing their teeth, grinding their teeth at Stephen because they could not defeat him in this argument. And they're so angry, they're looking intently or steadfastly at him, and Stephen has got the face of an angel. Now, I do not know exactly what that means, but I know that whatever it means... I want it. The face of an angel, that's pretty incredible. I imagine that it must mean that he had the glory of God shining from inside right out onto his face. That whatever was going on around him, Stephen was focused on the Lord. Well, we're going to see that he was focused in just a minute. But that he just had the peace of God. And that it was showing on the outside. That happens, doesn't it? We're aware of that. We know if somebody, oftentimes, we know, if somebody's got a poo-poo attitude, how do we know that? Because they got a poo-poo face, right? And some teenagers, I know none of you. I look around, beautiful teenagers. So I know this, is, this has not happened to you. So I'll, I'll share with you from my own experience because it used to happen to me, okay? But there are times when somebody will tell us A parent what's with that look on your face you better get rid of that attitude i know you guys have never heard that before and then and then i would be like what attitude i didn't say anything no you said something with your eyes with that look on your face right you ever heard about that you've probably seen it on youtube before right you guys don't know what i'm talking about but, but sometimes, man, the look on our face is like, man, you can tell exactly what's going on on the inside. Well, for Stephen, you could tell exactly what was going on on the inside. He had peace. He was full of Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of power, full of faith. And it was shining through. Now, we move on to our next section. This is the third section. And we call that fearless. And we move to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 for this. And we see that he was fearless. Now, We're not going to read through all these verses, okay? Beginning at verse 1, he is recounting their history. Now, remember, he was accused of speaking badly against Moses and God. And they mentioned Jesus, and they mentioned destroying all the customs of Moses. So what does Stephen do? Stephen says, oh, you want to talk about Moses and God? Let's talk about Moses and God. And Stephen, as he's recounting their history, the Jewish history, he reveals to them that he knows about the history. He knows about what God has done, about God's faithfulness. Now, beginning in verse 1 and down to verse 8, he talks about Abraham. He recounts the history as it concerns Abraham, the father of faith. He was the original Hebrew. He was chosen by God from Ur of the Chaldees where everyone was an idolater. And God waded through the mess of idolatry, found Abraham, and said, okay, I'm going to make a nation out of you. That's exactly what he did. God's faithfulness to the Hebrew people. Beginning at verse 9, again, I told you we're not reading through all of this, from verse 9 down to verse 16, he recounts the history concerning Joseph. And he's talking about Joseph's family, you know, Jacob and all of the kids, You know the 12 tribes of Israel, that's where it came from. But kind of at the center of that is Joseph. So he talks about God's faithfulness to Abraham. He talks about God's faithfulness to Joseph and Joseph's family from verses 9 to 16. Beginning at verse 17, all the way down to uh, verse 36, he talks about Moses. And he talks about how God used Moses. Many of us are familiar with the story, you know, the Exodus and Moses leading the people and how the people would, would be disobedient, right? We know that. We'll begin in at verse 37 and down to verse 40. What happened here? Verse 37, excuse me for just a minute, beginning at verse 37 and down to verse 50, he talks about the about Israel's rebellion, Israel's rebellion. And so his point in all of this, and it's a wonderful section, and if you have time later on, you, you're interested, sit down and read it. It only takes a couple minutes, probably taking five minutes to read through it. It's great. We're not going to read through it because we're focusing on what, um, on Stephen more than on this, that that portion. But what he's doing up to this point is he's saying, yeah, Abraham and Joseph and Moses and as he's winding down his message he's getting to this point in verse 37 down to verse 50 where he's talking about Israel's rebellion and he's saying listen God was faithful to Abraham he was faithful to Joseph and the patriarchs he was faithful to Moses he's been faithful all the time and when he gets down to verse 37 down to verse 50 he says yeah he says but the people were always rebellious against God they were always disobedient to God God has always been good and people have always rebelled against God that's his main point in sharing all of these things but what happens is at verse 51 down to verse 53 he rebukes the people so there are two main things that he's doing in this section he's recounting their history and then I gave you the points there that he was things that he was recounting Israel's rebellion that's what he was leading toward. And what that does is it leads right into a rebuke of the individuals that he's talking to. He's talking to these religious leaders. The council, this would be the equivalent of you having to sit by yourself to face a jury of leadership, you know some kind of, 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 of uh, uh, some kind of authority. You know, maybe a principal and the VPs or, you know, your, wh- whoever it might be. You know, somebody on your team, you know, all the coaches, you know, come in and, you know, okay, sit down right here in that chair by yourself. We want to talk to you. Imagine the pressure, right? And what he does is, is he uses that story of how God was faithful, but the people were rebellious, And then he transitions. Here it is in verse 51. He says to the guys that he's talking to right there, he says, you stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Now, the title of this section is what? Oh, there it is, Fearless. Fearless. That's one of the things that you and I want. We want to be fearless as far as it concerns our faith. All of us have a desire to like, man, I wish I could just like live for the Lord and just not be ashamed and not be embarrassed to talk about him and tell my friends about him. I just, I wish I could just, you know, get to that point. Well, Stephen is there, but how did he get there? That's what we're talking about. And we're going to go back to the first section before we close this up in a few minutes But right now, he's showing fearlessness when he says to these leaders, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. By seeing stiff-necked, let me tell you what that means, because that's another one. I'm sure you guys don't know what this means. It means stubborn. You've never been stubborn before in your life, right? You don't know what that means. To be stiff-necked means like, no, I'm not going to go the way that you want me to go. I'm doing this. It's like when you're trying to train a little puppy, you know? A little puppy, little kitten or whatever. Some kind of little animal trying to get that animal to do something. they just keep doing, you know, making mistakes over and over and over again. Stiff-necked. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. In other words, he's saying, spiritually, you have not, your, your heart and your ears, man, you've not had an operation, a spiritual operation on them. He says, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And he goes on. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? He's saying, your ancestors, they were also always persecuting God's messengers. And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. He says, any of the prophets that preached about Jesus, they killed them. He says, of whom you now have become betrayers and murderers. Now, listen, this is what he's saying to them. He's saying to these religious leaders, he's saying, your your forefathers always persecuted, and killed God's messengers. He says, in fact, in verse 52, you are telling the council, you are betrayers and murderers because you murdered Jesus. So he just accused them of murder. And in verse 53, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it, he says, you guys, because they were practicing Judaism, the law. He says, you have received the law You got it from angels, and you still can't be obedient to it. You're still, you're still not keeping it. So what he's doing is he's pointing out God's faithfulness, and their faithlessness. He's pointing out God's goodness through the ages: Abraham, Joseph, uh, um, um, uh, who else did he mention? Moses, the children, all of this stuff. He says God has always been faithful. He says, and you your people your ancestors have always been disobedient and then he tells them and not only that but you guys sitting right here in front of me he tells them are guilty fearless but how did he get there that's what i want to know like how can i be fearless how can i be a fearless christian and just share the truth how can i how do i get there well Again, that's what we're talking about. Now, let's move on to our last section, our fourth and final section, which is faithful to the end. Ah, that's what I want. Well, let's see how Stephen was faithful to the end. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. That means they were grinding their teeth at him. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing at the right hand of god now we'll move on in just a moment and i have to be careful not to spend too much time here but this in verse 55 is very it is extremely exciting to me he says or it says the account says in verse 55 that because he was full of the holy spirit that he gazed up into the heaven, into heaven, and saw the glory of God. And then he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, which, in a cursory reading, a simple reading for you and I, we go, okay, great. God and Jesus were there together. Fantastic. But the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he went back up to go be with God the Father, and the book of Hebrews tells us that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. But Stephen looked up and saw Jesus standing. Pray, tell me, why is Jesus standing? Now, I do not know, it does not tell us, So I will share with you my speculation. I make that clear right now. This is my speculation, this is my opinion, my theory. I have sat through countless cross-country meets, and I have sat through countless track meets. I have never, when my kids were running, I have never sat down at the end of a race. If it was a cross-country meet, some of you are familiar with cross-country, you know, there's no place to sit, right? You're just out there like in the woods, man, or in the dirt or wherever. If it was a cross-country meet, I was as close to them as I could as they were running the course. I didn't go follow them around the course. But I knew it's like, okay, they're gonna take, they're taking off here. They're gonna go loop over this. So I gotta get myself over there. And then after, as soon as they run by there, I know that they're going over there next. Let's see, can I, yeah, I can, let's go, come on. And then we just boom, let's, let's jam over there and go away. And at each point, as my kids were running that race, I was yelling. And I wasn't saying, oh man, you're so slow. Come on, pick it up, lead bottom. What was I doing my I would always say to my kids I was always as close as I could to them yelling like go 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 but I would always say to them get up get up and as they're running by what I meant by get up was there's somebody in front of you get up there go catch him and I was like as they're running by and they were way faster than me but I'd be doing with this like get up get up get up get up get up and then I'm looking like, where's the finish line? And I'm at the finish line, as close as I can. You know, Mount Sac. Some of you know Mount Sac. In the old days before the new course, man, they had the finish line. Uh, it, was, it was near where they started. They would start off there. They'd go all through the, uh, you know, the, uh, the uh, switchbacks and all, you know, all that stuff, man. And then at the end, they would come around back by where they started, and and it was all ribboned off, all taped off and they would come running along where all the 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 infield the green grass where everybody all the different teams were set up. So you just had everybody out there in their tiny little shorts, gross. But you know, as they and they would come running by and that it was like a it was a slight curve and then it was up you could see the finish line and it would go up this just this tiny little grade, but the it was like the last few steps were up a grade, man, torturous. But at that race I couldn't go very far because it was so spread out but then I knew finish line okay they're, they're coming okay and then it would be boom I'd be right there running along the river like oh get up get up get up running all the way to the finish line if it was a track meet same thing boom gun goes off batons whatever I'm watching You know, depending on what you know if my son was running I'm watching it's like okay there okay four by four, or you know, there you go. Okay, he's got the baton, here he comes. If I was sitting down in the stands, once he got the baton, forget about it. I was not sitting down, I was up. In my mind, I was out there running with him. And I'm watching, and boom, he's coming around just cooking. and woo, and I'm ah, let's go, and I'm just yelling. Now, I told you that this is my own speculation, my own opinion. I do not know why Jesus stood up. What I do know is that Stephen is about to go home. And my, I'll just have to ask Jesus when I get there, I don't know. My thought is that Jesus got so stinking excited because he sees Stephen coming home that he stood up, and he's just like, Stephen, get up, get up, and he stood up to receive Stephen, because it tells us there in verse 56, and this is what Stephen said, look, I see that heaven's opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. What did he do? He He's faithful to the end, Right? He kept his eyes on Jesus. And you go, yeah, that's the point. That's what I want to do. He kept his eyes on Jesus. That's what he did. He looks up and he sees the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city, in verse 58, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, also known as Paul the Apostle after this. And in verse 59, they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, please stop. No, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. If that just means he died, or if God had mercy on him and just like, I'm just going to put this dude to sleep. He went to sleep. He lost. Did he lose his life that day? No. He gained his life. That day, Stephen was more alive than he had ever been. But look at the two things he did. He kept his eyes on Jesus. And then in verses 59 and 60, he kept calling on Jesus to the bitter end. He was faithful to the end. But the question for you and I is, how do I get there? I want to be like Stephen. I don't want to die. I don't want to get stoned to death. But what I do want to do is I want to be faithful no matter what. How do I get there? You go all the way back to the beginning. What did Stephen do? He was preparing to finish well. How did he prepare? He prepared by being of God not full of himself you cannot remain faithful to the end if you're full of yourself because if you keep your eyes on yourself you are always going to be disappointed because you're never going to measure up you're never going to be quite good enough things aren't you know you're not i don't get what i deserve but if you keep your eyes on the lord if you're full of god not full of yourself then you're preparing to finish well. But here's the other thing that Stephen did. He was full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of power. What did he do with all of that? What he did with all of that was waited on tables, family. He served. And some of us, man, we can't figure it out. Like, why do I just keep struggling? Like, You know, I I go to a good church, or I read my Bible, like, what's going on? What's happening? It's because some of us, we're getting the good Bible study, you know, we hear the good Christian music and all of those things, but we're not doing anything with it. There's a whole bunch of input, no output. It's just a whole bunch of input. And sheep that only eat Are just fat sheet. You got to put all of these things that you have into practice. You got to serve. You got to get off of your hind parts, and serve someone other than yourself. Whether it's at church, grabbing a vacuum, the duster, the things that I always mention, or maybe even I don't know. It's a crazy thought, but maybe even at home. Isn't that crazy? Like, why would I serve at home? My mom's there, right? She's the maid, man. She does everything. If you do not take these things, being full of God, the Holy Spirit, the wisdom, all of these things, and and that was just to serve tables. That's it. And he just stayed faithful to that, and God did the rest. But if you don't do that, you're not going anywhere. You're going to continue to just Struggle. Everybody has challenges. Everybody does. We'll have challenges this year. Everybody has challenges. Yours are not unique. Everybody's got them. But if we just take all of these things and just sit on them, waiting for, you know, pixie dust to come, or waiting for just somehow, you know, through osmosis, you know, if I just put this Bible under my pillow and sleep with it at night, that somehow it's going to, you know, just show up in my mind, you're not going to go anywhere you're never going to develop. You got to have the input, God's Holy Spirit, the wisdom, all of that, and then you got to have the output. It's got to be flowing. Or else it's or else it's just stale water sitting, no life. That's what we need in order to finish well. To finish to finish better than we did in 2023. And we're about to be finished in just a few short hours. Right now is the time to decide that. Like no, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna just. I'm not gonna keep living the way I have been. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna live the same way I was in 23. I'm gonna. I'm gonna commit my life, Lord. My life is all of yours. It's all of yours. I need all of you in me, Lord. If you're not. If you're not filling me up, then I'm gonna be filled with myself. So, Lord, I need you, Father. Thank you so much for this. Uh, for your word.